please return to the passage uh, that Nina read to us. It's Psalm 49, and it's page 564. Page 564, Psalm 49. One of the things you discover when you read the Bible is that the Bible tells us that what is often portrayed as common sense by people is not common sense. In other words, when you read the Bible, what you get so often is a perspective on life that's completely different from what seems to be the accepted wisdom of how to live your life and what life's about. And one of the, one of the challenges for us, of course, if that's true is that it's really important we think very carefully about the wisdom that's given to us. I don't know whether you've noticed, but so many things that seem to be blindingly obvious, we just accept as blindingly obvious, we don't think about them. In fact, in our culture, we are so busy, we often don't think at all. We're just carried along. We're constantly on our phones, we're constantly looking at all kinds of media things, we're traveling to work, we're coming back from work, we have so many things in our schedule we don't think. And so that's one of the things that's really important about this psalm, Psalm 49, because in verse 3, the psalmist tells us that he's been doing something on our behalf that actually we need to do as well, and we need to take seriously what he's saying. He says he's been meditating about life. He's been having a really, really good think about life. And he wants us to know about that. Because do you notice at the beginning, hear this, all you peoples, listen all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor, alike. This is for everybody. Now, now it's, it's a psalm, so it's poetry. Okay, you're not reading the report of the match yesterday, about which I will say almost nothing, but who knows. And he's been, as I say, he's been meditating, verse 3, he's been meditating about life, and he wants to give us an insight into life. And the thing that he's talking about is about wealth, about affluence, and in particular, two things about money. Two things about wealth. Number one is the view that says that money is really important because it gives power. It gives influence. Money enables you to have a status in life. It enables you to have a degree of control over your life that if you didn't have money, you wouldn't have. So, for example, if you have money, you're able to buy a good education. If you have money, you're able to buy good health care. If you have money, you're able to protect your life in all kinds of ways. And also, you're able to have influence. And so, to have money is a good thing. Conversely, if you don't have money, well, that can be a source of great anxiety, can't it? Because other people can control you. Other people can influence your life, and they may not have your best interests in mind. And because you don't have money, you don't have influence, and so you can't resist 
So lack of money can be a source of anxiety, and that's exactly what he's talking about in verse 5. And he, he raises the question. Uh, by the way, this is something else we need to do. We need to talk to ourselves. Uh, do you do that? Do you talk to yourself? Well, we also need to be careful what we talk to ourselves about, how we talk. And here he raises the question. This is how he's feeling. He's articulating how he's feeling, which is that he's anxious when evil days come, when the wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in great riches. They have power, so they're able to affect my life. And I'm anxious about that. That's the issue that he raises about money. Money brings power, and it can be used against us. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like common sense to me, doesn't it? And so one of the results of that kind of thinking is, if you can, you should try and get at least a certain amount of money because that will enable you to have status and protect your life and get the best kind of possible life because money gives power. You with me? Common sense. But, but just remember, what seems like common sense to us may actually not be quite so sensible and wise. Let's come back to that. What about the second one? Second thing about money, second thing about affluence is that money is the basis for happiness. Now, that's not to say that if you have money, you will be happy. We all know that there are cases of people who are very rich, who are very unhappy. Money does not guarantee happiness. However, poverty doesn't guarantee happiness either, does it? I don't know whether you've noticed that. If you are poor, you cannot afford to eat in nice restaurants. You can't afford to eat McDonald's every day. That's a joke. You wouldn't dream of doing that anyway. Because you see, if you have money, you don't have to eat in McDonald's every day. You can eat in a superior restaurant and have a balanced diet that somebody has cooked for you at great cost and as a result of great learning and expertise because they're a chef. Money doesn't guarantee happiness, but money is a basis for living a happy life. You can eat well, you can go on nice holidays, you can travel, you can live in a nice house, you can afford nice clothes, you can do lots and lots of things that are really pleasurable. And so, the view that money is a valuable thing to have because it's the basis for a happy life and a flourishing life is common sense, isn't it? That makes sense. It's it, it kind of axiomatic, isn't it? Conversely, of course, if you don't have money, then the danger is that it can lead to envy, which is what he addresses in the last part of the psalm. So he says in verse 16 about people with their splendid houses, and they see themselves, verse 18, as living blessed lives. And of course, everybody recognizes that, so people praise you when you prosper. But when we lack those things, then it's easy to be envious. And so verse 18, uh, verse 16 rather, he raises this issue of being overawed when others grow rich. 
when we look at those who have wealth, who can do things that we can't do and we really like to do. Those two things, money gives you a certain amount of control over your life and gives you status, and money is the basis for happiness, are just common sense, aren't they? Aren't they? But remember, what seems like common sense may actually not be. It may, in fact, be dangerous. And so I want you to notice where the psalm ends. By the way, quite often in the psalms, not in all of them, but quite often in the psalm, you get to the conclusion at the end. It has that kind of take-home lesson at the end. There it is in verse 20. It's a wonderful phrase. People who have wealth but like understanding are like wombats. They're no more sensible than the animals. They have no more going for them than animals who just live and then they die and that's it. Wealth without understanding <coughs> makes you no better off than just the beasts of the field, the cows, the kangaroos, anything. That's the point. Notice he's not saying wealth is a bad thing. He isn't saying there's anything wrong with having money. That's not the point. It's wealth without understanding. And that's what he's been reflecting on. How it's possible to have money, but actually to have money without having thought deeply about life. Wealth without understanding means you're a fool. And you will live your life in a dangerously foolish way. So what is it he's talking about? Remember, verse 3, he's had a good think about life. And so he says, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. You ready for it? What is it that gives understanding? What is he referring to? What is the thing that people miss? Here it is. They don't think about death. They don't think about death. They don't factor in the one inevitable event that faces everybody. Now, when you think about it, that's absurd, isn't it? As verse 10 puts it, we all know everybody dies. We all know that the mortality rate is 100%. And yet, we live in a culture that doesn't really know what to do with death. We don't think about it. We kind of try and work around it. And the psalmist is telling us that if you live your life without thinking seriously about death, you are a fool. It would be a bit like playing AFL without a ball. Can you imagine that? These guys go out onto the field, the two sides, and they're really excited, and they're running around in their short pants. And, and they're doing all kinds of things, and they're, they're really getting excited, and running from one end to the other, and they're colliding with each other, and so on. But there's no ball, so there's no score. How absurd would that be? Would you go and watch a match like that? Would you play in a match like that? Would you think those people were sensible? Well, I'm not sure they're very sensible anyway, but doing what they do, I, I saw a few moments of the match yesterday, and... and thought that it was some form of torture that uh, they were inflicting on each other. But anyway, 
If you don't think about death, the psalmist says, and don't, don't reflect that and don't take that into your consideration. However much money you've got, you're as smart as a wombat. Okay, let's have a look at why you're a fool if you don't think about death. And by the way, I, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that statistically speaking, most of you here are thinking, I'm not sure death is a big issue for me. Because I've probably got another, ooh, who knows, 60, 70 years statistically before I die. So, so why do I need to think about that? So, so don't worry, I'm going to address that, okay? This is for all of us, remember? It's for everybody. That's how he starts off, rich and poor, everybody. And that includes those of you who are young as well. How does the psalmist encourage us to think? Let's take the issue of power. Money gives power. How much power does money give you? Well, if you want to know really how effective money is, compare it with the one inevitable thing that will face all of us. We're going to die. How much power does money have when it comes to death? Well, it's true that money can postpone death, can't it? People in richer societies tend to live longer than people who are in very poor societies. But at the end of the day, when death comes stalking us, we can't put up our bank account and say, you can't touch me because I have lots of money. Can you? It just takes you away. Verse 7, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. We all die. It's blisteringly obvious. And yet he's saying it's possible to live without factoring the one inevitable thing in life into our thinking about life. How crazy is that? That's the point. Oh, what about control? How much control do we have over our lives? I love verse 14. You imagine these rich people. They've been used to control of influence, of people bowing and scraping to them. Verse 14, they are like sheep that are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. They're like sheep and death will shepherd them. Their forms will decay far from their stately mansions. In the end, we have no control over death. Rich and poor alike all die. I say the question of happiness. Some of you are thinking, this is not a very happy subject. Actually, it really is. It really is. You see, that's the thing, isn't it? We don't want to think about death. But actually, we need to. And we can think about it with confidence. Let's have a look, anyway, at happiness. Now, as I say, no one's saying that wealth doesn't bring any kind of happiness. I've sometimes heard people say, uh, money can't make you happy, as if it's wrong to have money and there's no pleasure to be had in money. Now, that's nonsense. That really is nonsense. Money can 
give all kinds of things. It doesn't guarantee happiness, of course. But the big thing is that death takes it all away. And generally speaking, most people are dead for a very long time. Have you noticed that? <laughs> if you're not convinced, I suggest you go up to the cemetery and have a look and look at the dates when people died and work out how long they've been dead. They are not around it anymore. We are dead for a very long time. In one sense, death is irreversible, but I'll come to that later. Verse 17, they take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. They will join, verse 19, those who've gone before them who will never see the light of life again. The point that the psalmist wants us to understand is we need to think about our mortality. If we don't do that, verse 20, you're no smarter than a wombat. I'm really sorry about wombats. I'm sure they're very cuddly and very smart, but you know what I mean. We need to take death into consideration. Why should we do that? Well, here are two reasons why we need to think about it. Number one, because it's going to happen. That's why. It's inevitable. Uh, the, the great novelist Tolstoy in his Confessions, which is a sort of autobiographical little book, says that one of the things that drove him almost to the brink of despair was the realization that however much he'd achieved, death was going to come for him. And what did anything matter? All his success, given the fact that he was going to die. See, he understood that he needed to factor his mortality into thinking about how he assessed his life. Death is inevitable, so we need to think about it. But here's the other reason. And this is where it starts to take a turn for the happy. For those of you who are feeling a bit peaky at the moment, not wanting to think about death, and especially on top of the fact that the swans lost There is an alternative, an alternative way of looking at life that brings hope and assurance to us. Verse 15, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. See, money can't give you power over death. But God has the power to deal with death. See, there is an alternative way of thinking about life. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, we need to factor God into our thinking, and the fact that God has the power to deal with death, and also, in those rather strange words in verse 14, the upright will prevail over them in the morning. I think what he's saying there is that there will be a reversal. God is going to reverse things. In this life, generally speaking, money equals power, money equals happiness. And if you miss out on money, you miss out on influence, and you may miss out on happiness, 
But God's actually going to reverse everything. And in the light of the New Testament, of course, we see this much more clearly, don't we? Because we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ our future. What does it matter if you make vast amounts of money but you're not going to experience the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ? What's it going to look like 10,000 years into eternity if you had as much money as the richest person on the planet, which is probably not going to happen to most of you? What's that going to matter if you don't experience the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ? We see in the light of the resurrection of Jesus the future for us that God offers us. The death is not the end. And it's not the entry into some kind of half-life beyond death. It's the entry into life in all its fullness. There is an alternative future for us. And we need to see life from that perspective. Now, do you see what seems to be absolute common sense? Money gives power. And money is the basis for living a happy life. Is not adequate. It's not that it's completely wrong. It is simply inadequate because it factors out the one thing we need to think about in life above everything else in so many ways, which is our mortality. So, here's the warning. Verse 20, people who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts. That perish. What about you? You smarter than a wombat? Are you? Are you living a wise life? Have you seriously factored this into your life? Now, as I said, this is for everybody. The psalmist says this right at the beginning. Hear this, all you people. Listen, all who live in the world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. There's something here for rich people. Rich people need to remember they need to understand that a life that's built around wealth and takes little or no account of death, that imagines wealth will protect them and give them all they need. Rich people who think like that need to understand that that's foolish. Poor people, too, need to understand something about wealth, not to be afraid as if money is the security they need, and not to be envious. What matters, what matters is God who has the power to rescue us from death. Now I said I would address the fact that some of you may be thinking, well, I'm sure this is really important for all people to think about. You know, like you. Me, that is. Here's why you need to think about it. All of us need to think about it. Number one, living foolishly doesn't become wise simply because you're young. 
If you don't factor death in your mortality and live in the light of that and live in the light of the fact that it's God who has the power and not view wealth in that perspective, it doesn't become wise simply because you're going to live for another 40, 50, 60 or 70 years. It's just foolish anyway, at whatever stage. Ignoring God is always foolish. That's the first reason. The second reason is you have absolutely no idea when you're going to die. Statistically speaking, yes, if you've got through your 20th birthday and a bit above, then you're probably going to live for a reasonable length of time later. And then there are some other points at which statistically there's a bit of a spike. But, but the chances are many of you will be zipping along in your 90s, perhaps. But you don't know. So not to factor your mortality in, even at this stage, is just foolish. Here's the third reason. You know, decisions we make now about how we live our life affects where our life goes. Have you noticed that life is a journey? So if you make foolish decisions now, if you think foolishly about life now, then that will affect the direction of your life tomorrow. Foolish decisions now lead to foolish consequences tomorrow and then the day after tomorrow. And so if you set your life on a trajectory where you're not thinking with the wisdom that God gives, you're heading your life in a very unwise direction. Don't do it. It's dangerous. And here's the last reason. God has a life for you. He gave you your life for a reason. He wanted you to live your life in a particular way. He wanted you to live your life fulfilling the purposes that he has for you. And the purposes that God has for us are always good. They're always worthwhile. They're always for our flourishing. They're the reason why we exist. And to ignore what the psalmist is saying here will be ultimately to miss out on God's purposes for our life. In this life not just in the future. So four reasons why you need to think about it. Number one, because foolishness is foolishness at whatever stage of life you choose to do it, and wisdom is always wisdom. Number two, you don't know when you're going to die. Number three, choices we make now influence where our life is going. And four, God has a purpose for your life and he wants you to follow that. So trust God. View wealth through the perspective of the wisdom of the psalm, psalmist, and heed his conclusion. Verse 20, those who have wealth but lack understanding are just like the beasts that perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. And Father, we thank you that in it is such a depth of wisdom. Sometimes when we read what you're saying, something seems so obvious to us and we wonder why we never thought about that and why we haven't factored that in. A lot of the times we read things and we really struggle to know how we can take those things on board. Father, please give us, first of all, a heart to want to do what you want us to do. 
And secondly, Father, please give us the insight to be able to understand your wisdom for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.